And we left the meeting and uh, he started to cry. And I didn't understand. I said, what just happened? And he said, uh, they turned me down. Uh, and that was a really, really powerful moment. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Scott McGrew. Welcome to Sand Hill Road. My name is Cameron Yarbrough, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Torch. I was talking with startup entrepreneur Cameron Yarbrough the other day about his company, Torch. Our mission is to help employees become more self-aware leaders. We're building a, a SaaS platform for professional development. And we started talking about his first round of venture funds, which came from a firm called West Ventures. Well, their value proposition was fairly unusual in a, in a good way. A firm with an unusual approach, says Cameron, a firm with a focus on marketing. The West's basic model is that they invest in your company and then they support your overall marketing and brand efforts. And then they stick with you to help you build the brand throughout the life of the business. Now, most of the venture capitalists I talk to say their firm is different from all the rest. You say West is different, and, and how is it different? What makes it different is we lead with the brand and marketing expertise. That's Joanna Reese, managing partner at West Ventures and one of the longest serving women venture capitalists in the Valley. We selectively invest in our client companies versus a traditional venture fund that just leads with investments. That's all they do. They look for investments and they provide expertise after. So, for instance, if there were a, a chip company that made an obscure chip that probably was going to you know, give you a pretty good return, this is not necessarily something would interest you in an investment because it's not something you can really brand. We could potentially brand it. Uh, and I would argue that Intel did a great job of branding. They did. Uh, but... We would, we always tell people, if you just want money, there's lots of places to go. If you're looking for a brand and marketing expertise, then come to West. And if we work out well together, we work well together, we think you have the opportunity to define and lead a new category, then we will invest as a participatory investor to continue to support your growth and development over time. So a lot of funds will offer expertise in something, maybe technology or market fit or hiring. Your specialty is branding. Exactly. And a lot of funds will offer that post-investment 
we do that first. And that way we understand, is this a company we believe in? Is this a team that can execute? Can we collaborate well together? So we do the work first and the investment after, which I have to say was kind of what the venture capital industry was when it first got started, which was, it was a group of people who were providing advice and expertise and wisdom and how to grow and scale a company. And then they funded. And as venture capital developed as an asset class, it became much more around a financial transaction followed by expertise, which you hope you get. And in some cases, it's more of a financial transaction. Yes. Now, what you're offering in the marketing is expensive. I don't think a lot of garage startups who are ready to go out and and get some marketing uh, and PR and branding understand how expensive that is. Yeah, it's not expensive in terms of how we charge is not expensive because we No, I mean, if I went out and did this independently. Oh, if you did it independently, it could be expensive because when you think about getting brand and marketing help, even at the early stage, you go to an agency because that's where those services are provided. And I can tell you, I started my career at an agency and our job was to get our clients to spend as much money as we could because that's how we made money. And when you're a startup, you're trying to figure out how do I get to the most amount of growth in the most capital efficient way possible. So at West, we structure our work to really serve a company based on where it is in its capital structure. And- you know, honestly, if we're being honest, a large marketing firm may not put their best effort into a small startup. I mean, if they've got big clients. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's the same amount of work uh, for uh, a much, much smaller budget. What's unique about our model, even if we are doing just the branded marketing work. So when we engage with a client, our model is a combination of cash fees plus warrants. Warrants are an investment in the company. We're just deciding on the the price uh, to be exercised at a future date. We uh, structure our warrants for common stock. So we fully align ourselves with the team that's building the company. We sit behind the preferred investors in the preference stack. uh, And that really keeps us aligned in driving enterprise value in the work that we do because we only make money if the company is successful. So we you keep got our, skin in the game. We yeah. have skin in the game and cash fees at a minimum. When it, talk to me about brand. I mean, I, everyone understands what a brand is. I think of Nike or, or American Express and those are brands. And then I understand the concept that Nike is more than shoes. It's an athletic lifestyle. That's that brand. And American Express is, I mean, it's just a credit card, but somehow it's a snootier way of paying the same dinner bill. So I get branding, but you've worked with companies like like Twitter and Chegg on branding. I mean, does Twitter need branding the way that Nike does? I, I believe that every company needs a brand because a brand is foundational to how your customer, whether that's a B2B customer or a you know an individual consumer, will have a connection to your company. A brand is the sum total of every interaction that your company has with, that your customer, excuse me, has with your company. And we always say there's a human at the center of every decision-making. 
And, and so the brand is the ethos. What do we want to stand for in the world? And by the way, the brand is not just important when it comes to the customer. A brand, especially in today's world, is so important in terms of how we attract talent to our company. Uh, we need to do that now in a virtual way. We can't you know, invite them onto our big, beautiful campus with lots of perks. How does our brand show up? How do we differentiate ourselves versus everyone else in our competitive space? And that's our brand. And we can invite the listeners to make their own decisions. But for instance, the the brand, if uh, between Facebook and Twitter, um, you know, as far as to which to to go work for, um, the way that Facebook and Twitter present themselves to the world and and their reputations are going to be very important if I'm deciding which company to go work for. Absolutely. And it's how, you know, ultimately in any situation or think of, think about the brands you love the most, you probably found out about them from someone else. Ultimately, in the work we do at West, we're trying to create brand or customer advocates, employee advocates, where the, the next employee, the next customer is coming from someone who already is an employee or a customer. And then we know we're re- doing a really good job. Give me an example of how you're branding or working with Chegg on branding. Uh, for those who don't know, Chegg is a, is a college textbook rental company. Uh, my kids used it and it saved us money and it, that's good enough for me. You know, I mean, it, here's the thing. It saves you money. Okay, we're good. I, I don't need anything more. I don't need a logo. Yeah, so in the case of Chegg, Chegg had, when we got engaged with Chegg, Chegg had moved well beyond the rental of textbooks and made lots of acquisitions of different companies uh, after they had gone public. Companies even like Zinch that helped students present themselves to have a better shot of getting into college. And and the market was really not recognizing all of the suite of services that Chegg had under its Apparently umbrella. Apparently neither did I. Yeah. Yeah. So it had this huge suite of services. And we went back and we said, who is that customer that Chegg is serving? And that customer is a student. Now, when should Chegg be first engaging with that student? And when we went out and talked to students, students starting from freshman in high school all the way through graduating from college and getting your first job. And then you looked at all the assets that Chegg had in this suite of, of, of companies they really could be the brand of helping that student get from early high school all the way through to their first job. And so we did a a repositioning of the company in terms of a better way to student, a better way, because when you talk to students even about how they viewed the idea of going to college, it was super aspirational. And then they got into college and it was a grind. Uh, And the and, and then getting that first job and where we actually saw an opening is, you know, LinkedIn, phenomenal company, but really wasn't serving that first time job seeker. And Chegg really had an opportunity to be that supportive brand for any student from really the, you know, the start of high school all the way through first employment. So is is the key to getting your brand out there expanding? You said a suite of services. I'm thinking of things like Lululemon. You know, they bought Mirror. They're going to become more than just athletic wear. But again, like Nike, sort of a, an athletic company. Is is that how you expand your brand or, or get your brand in front of people? 
It's, it's really, it's about going out and you start with your customer and then you work from your customer out into the market and understand the market landscape and where there are areas of opportunity or gaps. And if, and it's how does your customer talk about you? How do they think about you? And where do you have the authority to grow and extend your business to better serve that customer? And, and that's the basis for how to think about how to take your brand from something that you initially have to something that could be much, much bigger. And Impossible Foods, which you work with, I think is an example of something in which there's more than just a name identity to it. People understand what that's about, where they could they could really take advantage of that. Yeah. I mean, Impossible was a wonderful uh, it, it is a great example of brand because it started with a very big idea where Pat Brown, the founder, wanted to change the way the world looked from space uh, by uh, making sure that the water didn't encroach on the continents and due to climate change. And the best way he believed to do that was to eradicate animal farming. So that's a big, big idea. How do you translate that down into what ultimately became a hamburger. Um, and But that's really where we started. We started with that ethos and then went and translated that down to where was the opportunity of how to position this in market. And it was actually counterintuitive to what a, you know, a venture investor would think because you want to get to scale very quickly. Uh, that's what venture investors are really good at is figuring out how to quickly scale. And our recommendation was to actually not think about scale, but to be really uh, very, very thoughtful about how that first customer experience was going to be received. Because if you want to change the way the world looks from space, you're not going to do that through vegans and vegetarians. You got to get to the big mass of the population, which are meat eaters. And so the recommendation of introducing the product for the first time in the market through high-end chefs who had a limited, you know, a limited amount of uh, product to actually put out into the market, but really created this kind of almost challenge to a consumer that David Chang from Amafuka was putting the Impossible Burger on their menu. And could it be that good? Uh, which created a whole amount of buzz and demand for the product that ultimately enabled them to have the authority then to scale more broadly. That's that's such a key insight about about branding and marketing is, you know, if you want to change the world and you want to change the world through, you know, plant-based foods, you're not trying to sell it to the vegans. That's right. You're not. And if you, you know, at the early days of Impossible, had they gone into the grocery channel, they probably would have been put into the vegetarian or vegan section in the supermarket. And right. And instead, you know, me, a very, very happy meat eater, uh, seeks it out in the in the grocery store. Hey, I've heard about this. I, you know, they've put it on the menu at fast food restaurants. Exactly. Uh, I'll give it a shot. Yeah. You got your start early in investing. Uh, your first investment, as I recall, your first pitch meeting, you were you were 10. Tell me about that. Uh, I went, my dad invited me to a meeting with him. Well, he promised me he'd take me out to lunch in New York. I didn't know I was going to a meeting with him and other uh, other people. And he was, he. I sat through the meeting and he talked about this concept he had uh, for creating a, a network of short line railroads throughout the U.S. 
This is back in uh, 1971. And we left the meeting and uh, he started to cry. And I didn't understand. I said, what just happened? And he said, uh, they turned me down. Uh, and that was a really, really powerful moment. He went on and ultimately got the company financed. But that first it, it, you know, interaction of having to go and put this big idea on the table and your heart and soul into something and getting a no was just very powerful um, in terms of an imprint for me and my own, uh, I, I would say, tenacity or I often talk about when I first learned persistence beats resistance, but that was probably the early marker of that. That's got to go through your head when you're when you're dealing with companies and maybe you turn them down. Absolutely. Absolutely. But always turn them down with with providing some kind of feedback advice or something to make them better. I, I often feel that we we don't necessarily provide the right kind of you know, feedback to people. And so I've even had situations where I've heard something about another venture capitalist not being responsive to an entrepreneur. And I've actually called that venture capitalist and and shared that feedback to say, I know you care deeply about your reputation. And I just want you to know this is what I've heard because I don't think that's your way of being. And they say, oh my gosh, you know, I missed, I, I probably wasn't that good with follow-up. Thank you for giving me the feedback no one does. Joanna Reese, an educator who improved failing schools, an entrepreneur who created thousands of jobs. I've put new ideas to work before. I'll do it again to improve our schools and grow our economy. Joanna Reese for mayor. You ran for San Francisco mayor some years ago and, and, it takes a, a special sort of person to to put themselves out there and say, I am literally going to get myself involved in a popularity contest. Now, you, you know, you could have better policies, you could have a better leadership, more experience, but ultimately it is the total mathematical popularity contest. Um, and, and you didn't win. Uh, and what does it feel like? Because it just seems like that would hold back so many people from running for office is that finding out, no, they like the other person better. Yeah, uh, I, it's so interesting you framed it as a popularity contest, which it is, ultimately. It, you know, when I decided to run, I had spent two years, I, I called it my listening tour out, just listening to people. I went into almost every single public school in San Francisco. I went to all the neighborhood business associations and I just asked questions. And what I realized was there was more linemen in the city than you would believe reading the paper or listening to the news, because we always talk about the divide, and that there was an opportunity to, I thought, to really, if I didn't win, I, I had the perception I knew this was going to be an uphill climb. I didn't have big name recognition. Could I effectively influence the dialogue to lead to better outcomes? And that's the part I was quite proud of where I, um, I spoke very clearly about public education reform. People said, that's not the job of the mayor, that's up to the superintendent of public schools. And I truly believe the mayor had the bully pulpit, the, the platform to be able to bring light to issues that were critical to keeping families in San Francisco. In the, at the start of the campaign, there weren't any questions in debates about public education. And in the end, 
we were having full debates about public education, which was requiring the candidates I ran against to really up their game in terms of knowledge and expertise. And so I was quite proud of that. When we go back to your earliest uh, marketing, you had a firm VSP uh, during the dot-com boom. Uh, just go old school with me for a minute. Um, two of your clients were Flues and Danger. Do you want to explain what Flues did? Yeah, Flues was a gift currency. So uh, the idea, this is way back before even a, a PayPal or a Venmo. It was a way to uh, to gift someone a currency that they could uh, then it appeared at the checkout of purchasing a good. So it said Visa, MasterCard, Amex, Flues. Uh, we um, we actually had a really interesting collaboration with Whoopi Goldberg with that company. Money. Give them flus, online gift cards. It's just like money. And in the end, uh, the company was hacked, um, and we um, we lost a lot of money because someone hacked into our systems and stole um, a lot of our gift currency. Describe that the the you know the midnight call where you got that the whole thing had been hacked. Yeah, I um, I served on the board at that time. We uh, got the midnight call that uh, someone had hacked into our back end and essentially took the cash out of the business. And we ultimately, I mean, it was a shame. It had great investors, Mavron and Oak and others, uh, and we had to shut the company down. That's just devastating. Yeah, devastating. And then in the case of Danger, Danger was a, um, a, a kind of a pre-iPhone. It, I, I don't know if you remember the sidekick, but it of flipped Of course open. I remember the sidekick. And I'm, but I'm thinking of all the people listening who have no idea what the sidekick is. And the sidekick was the early days of uh, kind of uh, data and mobile communication, kind of a a better version, a more consumer version of what had been a BlackBerry, which was the device that we all had. Uh, and what was uh, so powerful about what Danger did was putting so much of the intelligence of the device in the software, which then could be updated through downloads, which we take totally for granted today. Uh, but before, a lot of the intelligence was in the hardware. So if you wanted an upgrade, you had to buy the next version of the device. And Danger was an early way not to have to do that. Again, we had no money for marketing, but we uh, partnered with a lot of celebrities where we gave them the device and they really helped us promote our brand and, and really helped T-Mobile, by the way, get on the map with a much younger customer. Well, and, and, and to some degree, you didn't need a whole lot of marketing because it was one of the very first phones that, that did something other than call other people. I mean, yes, people, you know, executives could email each other using Blackberries, uh, but it was one of the very first in which teenagers saw it as a, as a tool to be a teenager. Absolutely. The, the idea at the time, it, it's, it's funny whether we're talking about danger or flus, which is why I picked both of them, is it's it's all so simple now. I mean, you know, we're, we take the phones for granted, as you were as you were pointing out, or the point. You know, there were there were beans and there were flus and there were a number of ways of paying for transactions online, in which now we just we just pay money. 
But the, it's it, it's hard to describe to someone who didn't, you know, who wasn't around in the early days of the internet, that the idea of buying something with money, like American dollars on the internet, was kind of a crazy idea. Yeah. And how do you build, this is where brand, you know, we started this conversation talking about brand, but this is where brand matters. Because when you are doing something completely novel and new, trust is incredibly important. And brand is another way of creating trust out in the market. What do you stand for? Is trust a a key component of how you're positioned? Uh, Because it, it takes a leap of faith to, to try new things. Joanna Reese, Managing Partner at West Ventures. For more interviews with Silicon Valley's most influential entrepreneurs, check me out on TV at Press Here. That's Sunday mornings on NBC Bay Area and everywhere in the world on iTunes and at PressHereTV.com.